Are you familiar with the term gopher? I'm a gopher. When you're working with someone, you might be the young new guy on the job and you're the gopher. I need this. Go for that. Go for this. One night my dad told me that he needed me to go with him to uh, a work project. Uh, the church building where we attended was under construction and my dad was a welder. And he was going to weld the uh, base for the steeple of the church building. And so it was just he and I. And we went to church one night after dinner. It was a cold night. And it was cold in the room. Uh, the building was still under construction. And I pretty much stood there and watched my dad do his work. But when he needed something, I was the gopher. And you have been there with your dad and mom. And uh, probably as a new person, uh, the young person on the job. And I was just amazed by how that worked at the end of that. I, it was a long night. I was tired, you know. I was ready to go home long before it was uh, permitted to go home. But my dad finally finished the job. And uh, we packed up the things and started to go and... Uh, the deal, the deal is my dad did 99% of the work that night. And I did maybe 1% of the work that night. But to hear him tell it at the end of the line when uh, people say, Hey, did you get that job done? Yep, Mike and I did that. Yeah, you see that thing up there? Mike and I put that up there. I didn't, I didn't do anything, you guys. <laughs> I handed him some water sometimes, and I handed him a, maybe a screwdriver or a hammer. I didn't do anything. i just amazed by the graciousness of my dad that he would include me as his partner in that work. God includes us like that. God doesn't need us in any way for anything. But He chooses to partner with us. He created the world without our help. It was, it was God's idea to select the most harsh enemy of the church to become a church planner. He didn't ask for approval when he stopped Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul was totally convinced that the resurrection of Jesus was a lie. And that the followers of Jesus were uh, deceived by a myth. In his mind, they were uh, totally misled. The believers in Christ were outside the law. They were unfounded on Scripture. They were just a mess. And so he was out to stop their work. But all that changed, as you know, on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9, which is the basis of this message today. Saul was stopped dead in his tracks. You know the story. He lost his eyesight. He had a conversation with Jesus, who he thought was previously dead. And so this proud man was humbled. The expert in the law was re-educated. The man who persecuted Christians was now on the verge of becoming a Christian. God did all the heavy lifting he didn't need any help from anybody. And that's where the story of the gopher takes an amazing turn. An angel could have appeared to Saul to give him uh, the final instructions. 
A raven could have dropped off a message to him, like bread to Elijah back in the day. God could have had a donkey come and tell Saul what to do next. He could have written it across the the sky in stars. This is what you do next, buddy. But in God's strange way, He chose to partner with an everyday normal person like you and me. Somehow God limited Himself and placed a large part of the advancement of His kingdom upon humans. Frail, fallible humans. I don't know why He did it like that, but He has limited Himself and chosen to partner with us. And so here's how the story unfolds in Saul's conversion to Christ in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read for you. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Here's another big but in the Bible. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest any everyone who calls on your name. Another big but. But the Lord said... Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. What a story of a gopher. God does 99% of the work. He asks us to do 1% of the work. And somehow he says, look what Mike and I did. (laughs) How does that happen? How would you react if God clearly instructed you to have a chat with former Governor Andrew Cuomo? Yeah, you might think that's a bad dream, but it could be. Or how about if he asked you to have a cup of coffee with Nancy Pelosi? Or Eugene Palmer. You don't know Eugene Palmer? Uh, I read the FBI's most wanted list. Uh, at 80 years old, he's the oldest person to be placed on the FBI's most wanted list. 80 years old. He was put there in May of 2019. They're still looking for the guy. Eugene Palmer. You might be having coffee with him someday soon. Would you run that by me again, Lord? You want me, little old me, To have a conversation with who? Public enemy number one. You can't be serious. And here's the deal with most of us. Because of our background and our view, we're absolutely opposed to the idea. No way. I would never do that in a million years. I don't have anything in common with that person. I don't like that person. They don't like me. Not going to happen. 
that's where Ananias was and most likely that's where you have been or maybe where you are right now when I mention some of those names. Here's what the deal is though. Ananias didn't know that God was already at work. He didn't know how God had prepared the soil for the seed. And you can't know what God is doing, what God is doing in the lives of people around us. Uh, once there was a study done uh, by, a, by a researcher trying to find out the stories of people who were converted to Christ. What brought them to that point where they made that huge decision? His name was Elmer Towns. He just talked to a bunch of people who became Christians and learned their stories. And from it, as a researcher, he, he started to piece together some of the mystery of how it happens for each one of us. And he, he wrote a little study called Seven Touches. Because he figured from what his, his research was based on that it would take at least seven conversations, seven invitations, seven touches with uh, a follower of Jesus to start the road and convince someone to become a Christian. Um, so this little study, Seven Touches, he said the bigger the decision, the longer it takes for a person to come to a tipping point. Like if you grew up in the church and walked away from it, you at least have some background, some understanding. But for a person who never heard the gospel, it's going to take longer. But it's, it's just a series of touches. Uh, this, For instance, uh, people seldom buy a car after seeing one advertisement on TV about the car. Right? It takes a lot more research and thought. It requires many factors. The same is true if you want to remodel a room in your house. What's it going to look like? How much is it going to cost? Who's going to do the work? Can we do some of it ourselves? Can we have friends come over and help us do some of it? It's just a lot to decide before you pull the trigger on that. And guys have learned that when they go out with their girl and she wants to buy a pair of shoes, it's a process, right? It is a long process. And that's all I'm going to say about that subject. When someone is making a huge decision to surrender their life to Christ, there's a lot of factors. Is it true? What will it cost me? Where will it lead me? How will people around me react? What will my future look like? It's a life-changing decision. So a lot of times it it takes a lot of time, right? But Ananias didn't know that the Lord had already used a sledgehammer to prepare Saul's heart. He didn't know that. He didn't know that Saul had already lost his sight. He didn't know that he was knocked off his high horse and had an encounter with Jesus. He didn't know that he was humbly praying and fasting at that very moment. He didn't know that he had a dream about a man named Ananias coming with instructions. The Lord had done 99% of the work. Still, he needed a gopher. 
He needed someone to partner with Him to complete the process. And that's where you come in. That's Project Andrew. God's done a lot of the work. He still needs you. As many of you know, I I spent many nights in the hospital last year. I received great treatment, and I'm very grateful. And uh, I didn't like being there, but it came to me after being in there for four or five days that probably the Lord has got me here for a reason beyond something I can see on my own. It's more than just me and my recovery. I've got a captive audience. I've got roommates. And uh, I've got some people who risk their lives to come into the hospital room to help me. And so those people were open and vulnerable and uh, wanting to talk every now and then. If I could ask the right question, I just figured I should make the best use of my time. So with these different roommates that I had, I... You know, in our weak state, stuck uh, there in the middle of the night, not a whole lot going on, not a lot of people coming and going. We had time. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your work. Tell me about your family. Tell me about where you went to school. Tell me about your dad. Tell me about your mom. Just asking questions and um, praying the Lord would give me good ears to hear and good questions to ask and... um, you know, pretty soon we would both be too tired to go any further. And I say, hey, before we uh, before we nod off here, would you mind if I just had a word of prayer with you about that? And you know, it's often about our health. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love it. I need all the help I can get. Is the usual reply, right? I need all the help I can get. And so just a quick word of prayer and nod back off to sleep again. What I found, what you have found, is that the very fact that people are hurting opens them up for conversation that they wouldn't normally have, right? They, they're they willing to listen a little bit more, willing to open up their story a little bit more. And somehow God has softened their hearts through life circumstances, that that's what happened in the hospital room. I was praying the Lord would use those simple conversations as one of the seven touches to lead them to faith in Christ. That's what's going on in the backstory, the unseen story here. God saw past the rough exterior of Saul, and he saw his potential and he saw his worth. And he, Ananias had no idea that the guy that he's about to have a conversation with is going to be one of the greatest church planners in the history of the church. He's going to write half the New Testament for generations to be blessed by. He didn't know that Saul had already had a conversation with the risen Lord and that he's already under conviction. His heart was ready. But he still needed that gopher. That 1% of the job still needed to be done. And guess what, buddy? You're the one I've chosen. I, I, I think this picture of Moses uh, coming down from uh, the mountain with the Ten Commandments might help. You know, don't, <laughs> don't shoot the messenger saw. I'm just here on behalf of God. Don't shoot the messenger. 
And, of course, uh, when I asked you if you'd have a conversation with Andrew Cuomo or Nancy Pelosi, uh, of course there would be hesitation and question. Absolutely. And Ananias had every reason to hesitate. Uh, you got the wrong guy. Either I'm the wrong guy or he's the wrong guy. This isn't going to work out. I have nothing in common with this guy. It ain't going to happen. But the Lord used his favorite word. Go. Go. And I hope that you can hear him saying that to you today. Uh, It never works to wait for God when He's clearly shown you what He wants you to do. It's already written there. It's already told what you should do. Just go do it. And you're you're waiting. Well, maybe the Lord's going to tell me something else. (laughs) Maybe if I wait till tomorrow, He'll tell me that was a bad idea. I have a plan B for you. No, just go. Angels don't tell unbelievers how to become Christians. The Lord doesn't write it across the sky. He uses people to communicate the good news. People tell people. And the good news travels word of mouth from one person to another person to another person. No person's more important than another. He uses the uneducated and the brilliant and everybody in between. That's how He does it. It's the touches and the Holy Spirit working together. Uh, if, if we could count on... Uh, technology or count on mass communication, uh, uh, that would be really nice, but it doesn't work that way. If that's all we had, the church would shrink. I, I just am uh, constantly grateful in my prayers when I think of uh, like people like uh, that are in our mission budget. People like Joy Cronin Rodriguez and Douglas Klotzbach and Rob Denning and people who grew up here. I'm grateful that somebody was part of the seven touches in their life, or however many touches it took, for them to give their life to Christ. And now look what they're doing. They're out doing the same thing for others. So the idea is pretty simple. Prayer certainly opens doors. And the Lord is certainly already at work. But He uses a storyteller to quietly explain the way. And I have no doubt God wants to use you as He used Ananias, just to tell the story. It happens around campfires and across backyard fences and uh, over cups of coffee. It just happens like that. Um, Sean McDermott, uh, the coach of the Bills, is famous for his quote, trust the process. Trust the process. And uh, yeah, right. You're sitting on a bench and it's so long, you know, I'm not going to just trust the process that'll happen for you. And there's a process in Paul's, Saul's conversion. Think about it with me for just a second. It involved many people, not just Ananias. Um, among them, uh, among those many people was a guy named Stephen. Stephen uh, preached a powerful, convicting sermon explaining how Jesus uh, fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and how Jesus died and rose again. It cost Stephen his life. But he planted another seed in Saul's hard heart. 
the Bible doesn't say how long Saul thought about that, contemplated that, wondered, does he have a point? Could he possibly be right? Is it true? Some of what he said sounded like pretty convincing stuff, but nah, it can't be right. But still, it stopped him in his tracks and made him think. Then there was a large number of unnamed people that Saul had arrested and put in prison. Common, ordinary people who would rather go to prison than deny their faith in Christ. And he had to think, how could these unlearned, salt-of-the-earth type people be so convicted? What What is with them that they'd be willing to leave their family, their home, their job, and go in prison for this mythical character? What's wrong with them? It doesn't say. But that's one of those touches. Just an influence like, Unnamed people representing the king. And then along comes this guy who is before in the story afraid. Now he's bold and he's resolute. His name's Ananias. Who is this guy, Saul must think? Who is this guy that's coming? He's putting his hands on me. He's healing me. Saul has to think, how do people get like this? Common, ordinary people that have this boldness. Where does this come from? Here's how the story goes. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they ask? And didn't he come here to arrest and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And God's in heaven saying, Look what me and Ananias did. Look at that. Me and Ananias, I couldn't have done it without him. This guy became a follower of Christ. I was reading this week about the 1995 baseball season. Let me just review it for you really quickly. It's an amazing story because when spring spring training started in 1995, Major League Baseball players were on strike. Didn't know if they were going to have a season or not. They had canceled the World Series the year before. There were no big leaguers that were willing to cross the picket lines and come to spring training. But the teams were determined to have at least an exhibition season. So they were scrambling to fill their rosters with 25 guys who would come and cross the lines and play for them. Sorry, union, non-union, not that. It's not a story about that. And so they tried to find people that at least knew what a baseball was and can play catch to come do exhibition games. 
And like there was a story of one guy who just a week before was coaching Little League Baseball who was now wearing a Major League uniform of the Boston Red Sox. How did that happen? For guys who play for the love of the game, it was a dream come true. These guys who were truck drivers and factory workers and insurance salesmen were now wearing a Major League uniform. They came to practice early and they stayed late. Whatever the coach asked them to do, they did gladly. They thanked the clubhouse workers for the stuff that they did for them. They were used to washing their own uniforms. No, no, we have people who will wash your uniform. Really? Cool. They, they, uh, they, after the practice was over, they could go in and have a catered meal. Really? We thought we were headed to Burger King. They, they stood in line to give their autograph to fans instead of the other way around. They knew that they didn't deserve to be on a major league field wearing a major league uniform. They didn't expect luxury, but they were thrilled to receive it. They were surprised by it. They, they didn't demand more playing time. They were happy to sit on the bench. They would have been the bad boy. And instead they were being paid a little bit to show up for these games. It was a dream come true for them. Uh, okay, yes, it wasn't Major League Baseball. It wasn't at that caliber. The players didn't fill out their uniforms with rippling triceps and biceps. They, some, had pot bellies. They didn't hit three run homers. They didn't throw the ball 100 miles an hour. But the fans were happy to see some guys playing baseball. And the guys were having a time of their lives. What made it so special? Um, They were living a life that they didn't deserve. That's the bottom line. They were living a life that caused them to be so happy that they didn't argue over poor pay or bad umpire calls. They didn't complain when their name wasn't stitched on the back of their uniform. No, they were just overjoyed to be on the team. And my point is that Ananias was living a life that he didn't deserve in Christ. And you and I are living a life that we don't deserve in Christ. We aren't good enough to be saved. But look at us. You guys... We have won the lottery. We've been chosen in Christ. We are wearing the uniform, the armor of the King. We're we're on the field. We aren't. I'm not skillful enough to play on my high school varsity team. But looky here, here I am in the major leagues, on a major league field, wearing a major league uniform. For you and me, our names are written in the book of life. And if the Lord asks us to do something, if He asks us to be a gopher, no problem. What do you want me to go for? If He asks us for volunteers to speak with the most notorious enemy of the church, there should be a crowd of us saying, Pick me. Pick me. I'm in. Let's go. We've been given peace with God. 
We've been adopted into His family. We share in His glory. We experience His grace. Grace that we should just quickly extend to others. And so all these things that we consider hard and tough assignments turn out to be great adventures. Somebody said that courage is fear that's said its prayers. That's Ananias, isn't it? Uh, Lord, okay, I understand what you want me to do. I understand that you want me to do it right now. Give me boldness. Here I go. And let's go do this. I note that when the pressure was on the early believers, they rarely prayed for safety. I noticed that as I grew up in the church and have been around Christians a lot, we pray for safety a lot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I would just point out that the early church rarely prayed for safety. They often prayed for boldness. They knew it was going to be rough. Give me boldness to go do this job. That's from Acts chapter 4. The Lord said, go! I've chosen this man as my instrument. And I went. And so my prayer for us is that the Lord would give us boldness like that. I like how a guy named Robert Mallett said it in his commentary on Acts chapter 9. He said, for all we know, Saul may have been the first and last convert of Ananias. Bible doesn't say. He just does his job and disappears from the scene. And again, the Lord would say, man, look what Ananias and I did together. (laughs) I did all the work. But he needed to go for that 1% person. And I love the words of Ananias when he entered this room, this notorious enemy of the church, this guy who came to arrest people, put him in jail. First words were so good. Brother Saul. Brother. That's just a cool thing. Just that non-judgmental, non-argumentative, non-arrogant, gentle, compassionate, buddy, how you doing? I got something to tell you. He's just extending the grace of God as he has received it. It's that, it's that note from, or that verse from Romans chapter 2, verse 4 that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Hardly ever are people argued into the kingdom of God. Hardly ever. It might be one of the touches, but probably not the last touch. It's that kind compassion, Brother Saul. Well, we need to wrap it up here. Uh, I can invite the worship team back up. I would just challenge you guys to think about this. Nearly every day you have a chance to be one of the seven touches that could possibly lead to someone's coming to faith in Christ. Mitch quoted it last week. Um, One person plants, another person waters, another person harvests. The Lord gives the increase. 
I remember Mr. Walker telling me about one family in the church that he visited, and they visited here, and then he visited them, and they had contact in the community. It took nine years for a family right over here on Griner Road named the Comissos to make their decision to come to Christ. Nine years. So my encouragement to you is to be one of the seven touches. And you won't know the impact of your work. You won't know it until heaven. But when you know it, the Lord will say, Look look what I did. Look what Mike and I did together. And you're going to say, I didn't do anything. I was a gopher. That's all I was. Um, God's not unjust. He will not forget the love you've shown Him as you've helped His people and continue to help Him. That's what it says in Hebrews 6, chapter 10. I've experienced God's grace. My job is to extend it to others. Find a way to do that, you guys. Uh, I would like to pray with you about this today, and then we'll just have this song. Uh, I'm, I'm challenging you to fill the role of Ananias. And I'm challenging you, challenging you to think about who is the person, who is the guy named Saul or the girl that you can make contact with. May the Lord put somebody on your heart. But would you pray with me about this? Let's just use this as our prayer, a second prayer time. Um, Father in heaven, thank you for the people that were patient with us and who touched us and influenced us, didn't give up on us, and led us to the Lord. Father, thank you that you were patient with us with our stubborn heart. We turned away, all of us did, from you from your people, from your church. We didn't think it was for us. It was for somebody else. But you patiently uh, worked with us and nudged us towards your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness like you gave Ananias. I pray that you would give us a burden for people like you did Ananias. I pray that you would give blessing to our community through Project Andrew, as we just try to try to point people towards you, all of us, Father, together in different ways. Some as great teachers, some as people who make cookies and drop off, some who just show kindness, others who pray. All these gifts that you've given us, Father, help us to combine together to make your church better than it is right now. And be a light in our town. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.